Reach Freaks. Hello, everyone. There's no regular episode this week. Instead, we're making some changes to improve the show and secure our future for the long term in the podcasting space. First, we've decided to part ways with our former network, and all Invisible Choir premium content will now be distributed exclusively on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Instead of giving up creative liberties or risking the future of the show moving forward, I've started my own network called Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir will be a Reach Freaks production moving forward. Second, we're pleased to announce that Invisible Choir will be represented at CrimeCon in Orlando this year as a featured invited guest podcast. The event runs May 1st through the 3rd, and I'm so excited to meet some of you, our loyal fans. Go to CrimeCon.com and use promo code INVISIBLE2020 today to save 10% on a standard attendance badge. I'll also be launching a special giveback campaign ahead of CrimeCon in April, benefiting the Trevor Project which provides valuable resources to LGBTQ youth across the nation who may not otherwise have any place to go for help. As we work towards transitioning to a new hosting platform in the coming days, you may notice some episodes temporarily disappearing from the feed or moving out of order. That's completely normal, and we expect to have everything fixed and settled in after just a few days. In the meantime, I don't want to leave you hanging, so stay tuned for two free Felony Friday sample minisodes from our vast Invisible Choir premium back catalog where for just $5 per month, you get access to exclusive bonus content, weekly mini-episodes every single Friday, and other perks. It's less than a quarter per day, so dig through those couch cushions and support your local independent podcast. Thank you all for your continued support, for adding and sharing us on social media, and for all of the positive reviews on Apple Podcast. Now, on with the show. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm scared. I know you're scared. Just calm down for me. I'm scared. I've never had anything like this happen to me before. Well, this will, te- this will teach you next time don't drive in the water. Welcome to another edition of Felony Friday. This week, we're going to change things up a bit. With a massive tropical storm heading directly towards Florida in the coming days, emergency services will be called to rescue hundreds, if not thousands, from their homes, from their cars, and inevitably some from drowning. But in an especially tragic case, we'll hear a desperate woman's panic and how the voice she heard on the other end of her call to 911 was anything but reassuring. Water. It's literally what brings life to the entire world. Without it, humans wouldn't survive. There wouldn't even be life on the planet. But water not only brings life, it can just as easily bring about a terrifying death. 47-year-old Deborah Stevens of Fort Smith, Arkansas, 
was driving along her usual route near the 5800 block of Kincaid Avenue last Saturday morning on August 24, 2019. Just after 4.30 a.m., she was delivering newspapers for the Southwest Times record. The Fort Smith area had already received over four inches of rain that morning alone, causing flash floods all throughout the city of just over 88,000 residents near the Arkansas River. As she approached a junction in the road, she noticed floodwaters had risen dramatically and come over her usual path, so she turned around and attempted to cut between two apartment buildings and through their rear parking lot to reconnect with her route. While driving slowly through the lot, attempting to see where it reconnected with the road on the other side, all of a sudden, without warning, her Mazda CX-9 SUV was swept away in the rising floodwaters. Before she even knew what happened, the water levels were already over her door and pouring into her vehicle. Panic quickly set in as the water levels continued to rapidly rise around her as she remembered that she couldn't swim. newspapers and I'm flooded over here on the end of Kincaid and it's all the way up to my windows and I can't get out and I'm scared to death ma'am. Can you please help me really bad? I need you to calm down. I need you to tell me where you are. I'm on the, I don't know ma'am. I'm on the end of Kincaid down here by these apartments. There's some apartments on Kincaid. I don't know what they're called. What color is your vehicle? On the other side of Kincaid at the very end of Kincaid Street there's some apartments and I thought I could do you have a dark blue car is what I'm asking you? What color is your vehicle? Yeah, dark. It's, it's gray SUV, lady, and the, the mortar's all the way up to my windows. Okay, hold on for me. Don't hang up. And it's coming in my windows. I mean, I'm floating in water right now, ma'am, ma'am. And you're at close to the area, 5801 Kincaid? I, yes, ma'am. I need help right now. I'm, 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 I'm soaking wet. I'm sick, and I can't. I don't know what to do, ma'am. Okay, what's your name? Debbie Stevens, please help me. I don't want to die. You're not going to die. Hold on for a minute. Well, I need to. I'm scared. I'm sorry. With so much rain having fallen that morning alone, 911 operators were fielding multiple calls just like Debbie's, and the fire department had been out all night rescuing stranded motorists that were swept up in the flash floods. And you are a paper person? Yes, I'm a paper person. Please send somebody fast to get me. I'm scared. Okay, listen to I can't swim. I can't swim. I'm going to drown. You're not going to drown. Just calm down. Well, ma'am, it's all the way up to my chest. Okay, Please listen, hurry. Me, I understand. Hold on for me. Just I'm hang scared. Up. I'm sorry. I'm it's fine to be scared. You have a right to be scared. I'm Hold scared. On <laughs> 911 dispatcher Donna Renault initially tries to keep Debbie calm, letting her know that while they are busy, she is radioing for help, only they don't know exactly where her car went off the road. It's still pitch black outside in the early morning hours, so they need a more precise location before they can assist. How long is it going to be, ma'am? My phone's going to die, and I can't charge it. It's going to get wet. It's all the way up. It's all the way up to my neck almost. Okay, hold on for me. Hello? I'm listening to you. So I said, hold on for me. Oh, God, please help me. Lord, please help me. I don't want to die. Miss Debbie, I need you to calm down and hold on, okay? Oh, I'm scared, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm scared. I need the cops to come get me. I need somebody to help me. I'm scared. Are you the only one in the vehicle? Yes, I'm the only one in the vehicle with all my papers floating around me. Okay, listen to me. Make sure yes, you're in the area of 5801 Kincaid. 
I don't know where 58 or 110 is. I don't know. I just know there's two sets of apartments no, over there. She's not sure. Listen to me. I you're, listen to me. If you're doing the paper, yes. you got to know at least a little bit of where you are. I can do this paper route over here, ma'am. I was cutting through to go to my paper route because I couldn't get down 63. So tell me what do you see then. What do you see? There's some apartments because all I see is some apartments. I don't know the names of any of these apartments. What, over are the apartment, what does the apartment complex look like? I, did, I can't see them, but, man, there's two sets of apartment complexes, one on the right and one on the left. And I'm in the back side of them back here in a bunch of grass. It looks like a bunch of trees. Okay. I'm going to send somebody out there to you, okay? What? It's already getting up to me. I'm scared. The water levels continue to rise at a rapid pace as the heavy rains pour down in the early morning darkness, causing even more confusion for responding police and fire services. Debbie's frantic concerns soon turn grave as the water begins submerging her vehicle, slowly rising up her windows, rapidly diminishing any chance of her safe escape. How long is it going to take? I don't have an officer available, so it's going to take a minute. So I'm going to try to get somebody out there to you to call them, okay? I'm going to die. It's all the way up to my windows. I'm going to die. You're not going to die. die. Oh, my God. I need to go and tell my mommy bye because I don't want to die. Ma'am, it's all the way up to me. Ma'am, ma'am. Listen to me, Miss Debbie. Just stay on the phone with me. I want to get somebody out there to you. Just hold on. My phone's going to die, ma'am, because it's going to run my phone because my phone's going to get wet. Hold on for me. I'm going to get out and swim. If I could, I would. But I don't know how to swim, baby. I'm scared. And there's people over there watching me, and they're probably laughing. They're over there looking at me. People are looking at you, and they're not going to help you? Two sets of cars over there, and they're just all looking at me like I'm stupid. I couldn't help it. I love it. They just started pulling me down the road. Okay, hold on for me. Renault begins to show the first signs of annoyance with Debbie and her frantic screams for help, reiterating to her that she is not going to die, that she just needs to hold on and be patient until the next available fire rescue unit is available. But Debbie's time is quickly running out, and only she seems to understand the gravity of the scenario unfolding around her. I'm sorry, but I don't want to die today. You're not going to die. My SUV, my SUV is wound. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Somebody help me. <laughs> my brand SUV is wounded. Hold on for me, ma'am. I'm holding on, ma'am. That's all I can do. I'm scared. Because it's getting higher and higher, and my phone's going to die, and y'all ain't going to find me. I'm going to get this back away. Okay, just hold on for me. And I can't swim. I can't swim at all. The unit finally responds and again asks for clarification on Debbie's whereabouts. Renault sends along the details, but in the midst of responding to multiple calls simultaneously, seconds begin to feel like hours. And Stevens continues listening in, even correcting some of the details as Renault radios to the fire department for rescue assistance. 10 it's going to be in the area of 5801 Kincaid Avenue. I'm on the female. I'm on the phone with the female. She's stuck in a 
van. She's on a paper route. I'm in an SUV. And she's got water up to her chest. What color? No, I was like it. Oh, please help me. Ladder one, be advised, it'll be a gray SUV. And I've got my lights. I've got my lights on inside. You can see me. Ma'am, I hear you. Did you, you tell him I got my lights on the side where they can see me? Yeah. Can you tell me how long it's going to be, ma'am? Debbie Stevens' cries for help become nearly incomprehensible as the water levels inside of her SUV begin slowly creeping up from her waist to her chest to her neck. Every single breath all the more valuable as she begs for help. Somebody save me. <laughs> Am I not on the phone with you trying to get you some help? Yes, okay. but I need somebody to give me help before I die. I'm sorry. You're not going to die. Scared. I don't know why you're freaking out. It's okay. I know the water level is I'm high. Scared. I understand that, but you're freaking out doing well, nothing but losing your oxygen up in there. So just calm down. But are they not going to come get me? You said what? I'm sorry. When are they going to be here? As soon as they get there. By this point, Stevens and Renault have been speaking on the phone for nearly 10 minutes. Stevens frantically calling out for help and Renault, by the sounds of it, growing more and more impatient and confrontational with a desperate woman crying out on the other end. Ma'am, my phone's gonna die and they're not gonna find me and it's gonna ruin my brand new phone. Do you really care about your brand new phone? I mean, you're over there crying for your life. Who cares about your phone? I need to get down. I need to throw up. I need to throw up right now. Well, then uh, you're in water. You can throw up. It's not going to matter. If you got throw up on yourself, they'll still help you. No, my car is just going to catch on fire. How if it's underwater? It's turned on. I can't turn it off. Your car is not going to catch fire in water. Oh, it's making awful funny noise and smoking. Oh, my God, ma'am. It's all the way up past my door. <laughs> Just stay on the phone with me. I'm going to get somebody there to you. They should be there. Stevens, realizing she may not make it out alive, requests to hang up the phone and call her mother-in-law. But Renault scolds her, telling her to stay calm and stay on the line so the fire rescue team can find her. She continues repeating the only known details of Stevens's last known location, but responding officers aren't able to see her vehicle anywhere. It's then that Stevens turns to prayer. I'm sorry, can you pray? Will you pray with me? Hello? I'm here, I can still hear everything you're saying to me. I have will you pray with me, please? You go ahead and start off the prayer and I'll listen to you, I sure will. Dear Lord, please just help me. Get me out of this water safely, dear Father. One of us has to have a new peace, Father. Just be with me and protect me and help me, dear Father. Please, dear Father, help me. My vehicle's ruined. Yeah, but it's better that your vehicle is ruined than you being swept away and nobody knows where you are. So just stand the phone. I'm going to be swept away because my mom is No, you're not. You're, you have nowhere to be swept away to besides the street that you're on, so just calm down, okay? Well, I'm at the end of a street, but man... Right, I, I'm, looking, I'm looking at it right now, and at the end of the street is some bushes, so you'll be just fine. 
but Stevens wouldn't be just fine. Renault's seemingly rude attitude turns completely uncaring at times, as this 47-year-old woman is swept away into a nearby creek, her SUV eventually coming to rest upon some trees. Calm down for me. I'm scared. I've never had anything like this happen to me before. Well, this, will te- this will teach you next time don't drive in the water. Couldn't see it, ma'am. I'm sorry or I wouldn't have. I don't see how you didn't see it. You had to go right over it, so... No, ma'am. I was in a truck. I was in a parking lot. There was no water where I was at. Okay. That's right. enough. The water just didn't appear. I didn't see it fast enough. My headlight went out and I couldn't see it. Okay. It's okay. We'll get you help and get you out of there. Just hold on, okay? Okay, ma'am. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. They don't call them flash floods for nothing. Water levels can rise so unpredictably fast that people often find themselves trapped before they even see the water coming. And that's exactly what happened to Stevens. But Renault continues to move from general annoyance to outright mocking the woman facing certain death. Her attitude is absolutely shocking, coming from someone sitting inside of a warm, well-lit office space, talking to someone else whose vehicle is now nearly entirely submerged in the thrashing waters. And you're not the only one that's been stuck in the water. We've had some 80-year-olds. I understand that. This is scary. It's scary. Because I can't swim. (laughs) I think even though you can't swim, I think you can still stand up in this. How tall are you? It's harder than me. I don't think so. I don't know. I'm only five foot tall. Okay, well, you're not three foot, so you'll be just fine. Okay. As if in shock, Stevens asked if the fire rescue team will take her back to her house, where she has animals waiting, so she can get more newspapers and head back out to deliver them to waiting customers. She explains that her mother-in-law can come pick her up and help her finish the route. Renault asks in a sarcastic tone, so you're going to send her out to drive in this? <laughs> Those people are standing up on their balcony watching me sitting in this water. That's pretty rude. A lot of people have called in on you, so I don't think that nobody's just sitting there. They have to call in, but they're not going to get their self in danger because you put yourself in danger. I understand that, ma'am. I understand that. I'm just scared. I know you're scared. And the water's creeping up, and in a minute I won't be able to talk to you when my phone goes crazy. You'll be there before that happens, so calm down. Oh, you. I'm sorry, ma'am. Mm-hmm. What's your name? Donna. Donna, thank you for being here for me, Miss Donna. You're welcome. Renoa asks if Stevens is behind the Oakbrook Apartments, and she repeats again that she is stranded at the very end of the street behind two apartment units. Fire Rescue can be heard yelling in the background, desperately trying to find her but they can't. It's still dark and raining heavily. Her headlights are completely submerged, her window is fogged, and the water now creeping higher again, leaving her only a few inches of oxygen left before her certain death. Renault can be heard faintly laughing in the background as she continues trying to direct fire rescue to Debbie's location. Who, fire? Are they really? It's even higher. It's all the way past my doors. Hold on for me. Don't hang up. Ma'am, please. My Hold God. on for me. Hold on. Ladder two. Oh, my God. 
They're trying to come to you. The whole parking lot is flooded. They're trying to find you, okay? So hold on for me. Oh, and I'm at the very back of the I'm at the very back of the end of that road on 58th Street. That's what street that is. I didn't know, ma'am. Oh my god, my car is starting to move. Oh man, my car is starting to move, please. Okay, listen to me. I know. I'm I'm trying to get you as help as I can, okay? Just hold on for me. Okay, ma'am, please. I, I know you're die, scared. Please. I know. Hold on for me because I've got to take other calls plus you and listen okay, to all the time. Okay, ma'am. Okay, ma'am. Okay, 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 ma'am. Okay. Dear Lord, please just get me out. Dear Lord, please help him find me. Dear Lord, please. <laughs> Renault, perhaps realizing the situation is actually much worse than she had likely originally anticipated, radios fire to get their rescue boat ready. It turns out, the tiny creek behind the apartments has turned into a full-blown raging river, the most dangerous of flash floods. It isn't something anyone is going to just stand up in and walk to safety. In her last few precious seconds, Debbie cries out in prayer as her car is thrust deeper into the current. Water is now rapidly filling the last few empty spaces inside of her vehicle as she frantically screams, realizing that this is the end. Now, I want to give another trigger warning here for our listeners, because you're about to hear Deborah Stevens' last moments alive and the sheer terror in her voice as she is drowned alive, crying out for the Lord to save her. If you don't want to hear this part, skip ahead 35 seconds now. Okay, I know. Listen to me. They are in the area. They are trying to find you. They cannot find you right now. I'm trying to ping where you are, so do not hang up because this 911 call is helping me ping your location. So don't don't hang up on me. Okay, where are you moving to? Tell me where it's going. Okay, tell me where you are. Listen to me, hold on. I'm on the phone with her right now. She is legit freaking out. She said the vehicle is now moving in the water and she doesn't know which way it's going, so stand by. Okay, is the water up to your neck? There were only four 911 operators working in the morning Donna Renault took the desperate call from Debbie Stevens. But this one stood out, because she tragically died and many believe Renault didn't take her seriously and mocked her all the way to her watery grave. Now I will say the manner that she spoke during this conversation would, would probably have been addressed, but it would have been more of a rudeness. Um, quality of service type complaint. Despite calls for an internal investigation into Renault's handling of the call, there was to be none because she put her two-week notice in 15 days before on August 9th. And this day, well, it was her last day of employment with the department. Can't investigate someone who no longer works here. However, uh, an investigation into our policies, our responses, our dispatch center. I've been in communication with the fire chief. We're looking at Uh, what we can do to maybe increase uh, training. Officers finally spotted Debbie Stevens' car just two minutes after her desperate call cut out at 5 a.m. They entered the water at 5.08, but had to wait for the rescue boat and couldn't retrieve her body until 5.58 that morning, one hour and 20 minutes after she first phoned in to 911. 
Donna Renault is no longer employed with the Fort Smith 911 Dispatch Center. She had been a certified dispatch trainer for new employees and was awarded Fire Dispatcher of the Year just a few months before in February of 2019. Interim Police Chief Danny Baker commented that while she had been rude on the call, there was no evidence that she had done anything criminally wrong, even going so far as to say she hadn't even violated the department's policies in her handling of Debbie Stevens's desperate call for help. Debbie is remembered as an incredibly kind, servant-driven woman who was an exceptionally dedicated hard worker who would deliver her newspapers regardless of the weather conditions to ensure her customers received it on time, every time. She served as a preschool ministry teacher at a local Baptist church and was a dedicated community servant. The children often referred to her as Renault did on the phone call, simply as Miss Debbie. As evidenced by her concern and dedication from the desperate confines inside of the car, even as it was filling with water, one can only wonder why. Why the 911 operator couldn't show Debbie Stevens the same level of dedication that she showed the world every single day. Thank you for listening to Invisible Choir. This episode contains sensitive material, including graphic depictions of violence or abuse against children, which some listeners may find especially distressing or traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. My was babysitting my kids and left my kids dead in my house. Ain't no telling how long they've been in this house. Welcome to another edition of Felony Friday on Invisible Choir Premium. I'm your host, Michael Ojibwe. First, thank you to everyone for sending along your kind thoughts and observations from our first ever Patreon question and answer video session. Hopefully you learned a little bit about me, where I get my motivations from, and how I got into true crime podcasting. And yes, I finally answer the question about my rumored affiliation with Sword and Scale. If you haven't watched it, tune in on the Patreon mobile app. It's well worth your time. This week, we're going headlong back into an excruciatingly difficult case, one involving multiple children, this time out of Atlanta, Georgia. If you are at all sensitive to these types of cases, I encourage you to pause now and exit this episode. For everyone else, prepare yourselves for Unmotherly Love, Part 2. 
911 operators handle emergencies of varying degrees of severity every single day, but some calls stick with the receivers forever. Some are so horrible or tragic, they simply cannot be forgotten. Others are so bizarre and leave more questions than answers that the operators who field the calls are left in a difficult position to interpret whatever limited information they have and coordinate an appropriate response. But on October 13, 2017, an Atlanta 911 operator received a call that she would never forget. It was equal parts tragic and confusing. Atlanta 911 operator 7054 with the other Yes, ma'am. Ma'am, I have a, I have a question, and this is a serious matter. Um, I just left um my cousin in the house. With, the, with my kids, um, she just left my kids in the house when I came back from work, and my kids, two of my kids are dead. What, what am I, what do I, what do I gotta do? They dead. She left them dead in the house by themselves. Oh, okay, ma'am. Where are you now? I'm in my house. She left my door open. My baby boy, my oldest baby boy, is the only one that's here. Only one that's alive. She left. She let them left them in the house by themselves. She left them in here, and they knocked okay, the old phone. They were, can you listen? Twenty-four-year-old Lamora Williams refuses to give the operator her address until she listens closely at what allegedly happened to her two youngest children: one-year-old Jacarter and two-year-old Keontae. When I came in, the stove was laying on my son's, my youngest son's head, and my other son was laid out on the floor with his brains laid out on the floor. I don't know what to do. I just came home to work from this. It's okay. just left my baby's thing. Okay, ma'am, I'm, I'm going to get EMS, and I'm going to get um, police and fire at the, at the location. Can you tell me where you're located? Um, um, um. Ma'am, I can't even talk. This is so serious. I'm so scared. I don't want to get locked up because I was at work. Okay, ma'am. I, I understand that you're scared. I completely understand, but I need to get some help out there to you now. Can you tell me where you're located? I understand that, but can you can you please help me? Like, can you please tell me? Like, I don't want to get locked up because this is not my fault. I had just came home from work. For over two and a half minutes. Lamora continues refusing to confirm her address so the operator can send police and emergency medical support. Her emotion seems to transition awkwardly between altogether uncaring and horrified at the prospect that she might get into trouble for the two dead boys now laying underneath a stove in her kitchen. I just came home from work. Yes, ma'am. I just came home from work. Okay. Ma'am, the, the first thing that I need to do is get some help out there to you. I understand that you're upsetting your They've been in here dead. Like, it, it, it's not, it's no way in the fuck. She left my baby dead. Okay. And I don't have no way okay. to reach her. If, you, if you're not sure, if you were dead. at work, ma'am, listen to me. If you were at work while this happened, then the responsibility is going to fall on your sister. And that's who you left them with. Okay? Now, it's hard to imagine what any one of us might do in this situation. To predict how we might respond if upon arriving home from work in the late Friday evening hours, we discovered that our cousin who had been babysitting had left our children alone, dead, inside of the house. But surely, most of us wouldn't be concerned about going to jail ourselves, as we might otherwise be about getting the appropriate help to the house. The operator eventually transfers Lamora to speak directly with EMS, who by now are en route to her home at the Oakland City West End Apartments, an otherwise small, unassuming multiplex located just west of the Capitol View neighborhood in southwest Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. 
when I just came home from work, my babies were stuck in the stove, dead, and I just came home from work. Wait, 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 all right, Elena, can we get PD started to this location? I'm operator 839. Yes, we have PD and fire already en route to that location. All right, thank you. that what first seemed a tragic case of a broken-hearted mother whose two young children were somehow killed and possibly crushed by a stove quickly evolved. Upon arriving, police determined it was unlikely there was ever a cousin or any other caretaker present in the home while Lamora was away from her boys for nearly 11 hours that Friday evening. Also, the boys' heads had been closed inside of the electric stove while it was on, and first responders noted obvious signs of burning and a distinct level of decomposition that implied the fate of both young toddlers was far worse than anyone could have initially imagined. Friday night, Atlanta police officers came to this apartment building on Howell Place Southwest. They located two male children deceased, both with burn marks possibly from the stove. A neighbor shared this photo with 11 Alive News of police removing the oven from the apartment before sunrise Saturday. Williams told investigators she left the children with a caregiver her female cousin around noon Friday. More than 11 hours passed before she returned to find her babies dead and no cousin in sight. APD investigators, though at this time, do not believe the children's mother left them with a caregiver. While investigators have now charged the mother with two counts of murder, there are still many unanswered questions. Arrest warrants could be released as early as tomorrow and provide more information about Williams' whereabouts and leaving her children Friday, what investigators believe took place inside her apartment, and what led up to the two boys dying. The arrest warrant was quickly made public, and the allegations against the young mother were horrifying. The warrant detailed the belief that Lamora had intentionally placed her one and two-year-old sons inside of the oven sometime between 12 a.m. Thursday morning and 11 p.m. Friday evening before turning it on. The extent of the burns and their injuries potentially indicative of a much longer period inside of the electrical oven. The initial reports all pointed to the disgusting possibility that Lamora had cooked her two sons to death while they were still alive. But that couldn't be confirmed yet as the results of the boys' autopsies hadn't yet been released. The warrant also revealed that there was no job for Lamora to report to as she had claimed on the 911 call because she had recently quit due to her inability to secure a babysitter for the children. The warrant also detailed that Lamora, instead of calling 911 upon allegedly first discovering her dead children in the apartment, first made two other phone calls. One to a close friend, Nisa Smith, who claimed that Lamora phoned her that Friday evening explaining, quote, I couldn't do it no more, before telling her that her two youngest children were now dead. 
Nisa told her to call the police right away, but she didn't. She decided instead to FaceTime video chat the two children's father, Jamil Penn, who alerted police that she showed him via the phone's camera his two dead sons lying on the floor. Hey, I, I just received a call from my, my, my child's mother that, that, that two of my, 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 my youngest two dead babies, my sons, are, are dead in an apartment. Uh, okay, there's a lot of background noise. They're what in an apartment, sir? I just received a call that two of my kids are dead inside of an apartment. Okay, did she call 911? What's the address? No, she didn't call 911. She called me and she video called me what? and showed me this and I seen it. What's the address? And I really think they are really dead. What's your name, sir? Was, my name is Jamil Penn. Okay. I want to know if they actually, I want to know if they actually did. Please, please give me a call. Please give me a call back as soon as possible. Okay, we'll get a unit out there to check it out, okay? All right. All right. Jamil Penn wasn't the only witness to the horrors that occurred in Lamora Williams' apartment that evening. Her other three-year-old son was in the home with his brothers the entire time. In a later report released by Atlanta's Division of Families and Children's Services, the prospect of an intentional homicide was brought in to serious question after the boy revealed to a caseworker that one of his brothers, quote, slept on the stove the night of their deaths, and that it then fell on both he and his other brother while his mother was phoning 911. But the police weren't so sure, arresting Lamora Williams, charging her with a total of 14 counts, ranging from murder to three counts of cruelty to children. After her indictment, the prosecutor revealed new details at her initial court hearing regarding how they believed Lamora put her children in the stove to potentially cover up something even darker, how she really killed her two sons. Lamora Williams stood silent in front of a judge Monday, accused of murdering her own two children and leaving them in an oven. She stared at a prosecutor as he read the 14 charges against her, including two counts of murder. A grand jury indicted the 24-year-old mother last month for the deaths of her two-year-old and one-year-old sons, Keontae and Jakarta. Police found the two boys in an oven October 13th in Williams' apartment in southwest Atlanta. Her family members told us at the time that Williams felt overwhelmed as a single mother of four. When I saw that mugshot of her, I knew that was not my little sister. Police say Williams first said a caregiver was watching the boys at the time of their deaths, but police later ruled that out. Williams pleaded not guilty Monday through her attorney to four of the 14 charges. The other charges, including murder, will be addressed at a separate hearing. At the time of her arrest, her family was concerned how long she would last in jail. I just came from the jailhouse to let them know to put her in suicide watch because she's going to kill herself. Lamora's family was very vocal with local news sources after she was charged with murdering her two sons. Her mother and sister explained in great detail how they tried on multiple occasions to get her mental health support through the state while growing up, both believing she suffered from a, quote, undiagnosed mental illness since birth. The family never had the resources to seek appropriate diagnosis and treatment themselves after Lamora's behavior began crossing into the realm of bizarre and instead removed her from public school so she could be homeschooled as a child. 
Her mother shared with one reporter how she would regularly cut the head from all of her sister's dolls when they were growing up. Things eventually took a turn for the worse when Lamora's father unexpectedly died in 2014. Her family explained that she simply, quote, lost her way after that, and that he was the backbone of the family and was her greatest support. They also described how unprepared and overwhelmed she felt caring for so many young children by herself, as she had another six-year-old child who luckily was in the safe care of the family the night of the murders. Lamora's sister, Tabitha, when asked if she believed Lamora was capable of murdering her two youngest children, simply responded, yes. She also described how Lamora would routinely leave the young children home alone, and that the family wasn't surprised she resorted to such terrible decision-making near the end of the boys' lives. No additional information has been made public regarding Lamora Williams since she pleaded not guilty to all 14 charges on May 30th, 2018. It's unclear if her case ever went to trial, and given the circumstances, she likely underwent a psychological evaluation to determine if she was competent to stand trial and quietly remains in treatment to this day. My head hurt. I've been goddamn crying all night. Okay. I don't okay. need... I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what to think or to feel, bro. Like, I'm lost, I'm lost. My boys is gone. Like, I got one boy left. Keep your grandbabies, your kids, and everybody close. Make sure you check on them, know how they doing, eating, this and that, because a real mother would never do that. At the funeral, each little boy's bright white casket was carried by its own two-horse carriage, each one covered in vibrant, colorful paintings of each boy's favorite superhero, cartoons, and family photos. While Lamora lay tucked away in county jail on suicide watch, the father held his only remaining son extra tight, as they both prepared to live a life moving forward, incomplete. Hey.